Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. It was one of those sports that was always there. Like, no matter what was going on in your life, I could always go to that wrestling room and put my time in and see results. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's Wrestling Changed My Life. Thank you so much for joining us. My guest today is Daryl Weber, national champ, three-time All-American for the Hawks. He's also the founder of AttackStyleWrestling.com, a fantastic resource for both parents, coaches, and athletes alike. Really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do as well. It's only fitting that we have a Hawkeye on during the week of the Iowa-Penn State duel. Fate of the week goes to CP Talk. That's at CP underscore talk underscore on Twitter. Thank you so very much for the love and support. And hey, I got to say, folks, forgive the background echo right now. I'm in an office room where there's literally not a piece of furniture in sight, so the echo in here is brutal. Last but not least, if you're going to the Iowa-Penn State duel this Friday, stop by the Wrestling Changed My Life Happy Hour. It's at the Airliner in Iowa City from 5 to 7 p.m. The Airliner this Friday from 5 to 7 p.m. Now that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Daryl Weber. Daryl Weber, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you having me on, Ryan. This is uh, yeah, this is a great podcast you got you got going here. Thank you. And I, you said uh, off there that you know your wife says all you could talk about is wrestling. So we'll uh, we'll talk some wrestling today, man. Yeah, she. Uh, at least when I start talking about it, I, I I don't stop. So yeah, I always enjoy doing this. Good, man. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. I know you you grew up in Iowa, wrestled at legendary Don Bosco, and for the folks who don't know. Uh, maybe if they're not familiar with Iowa, just kind of key us in on that program and and um, impact Coach uh, Coach Mashik had on your career. Yeah, you know, so Don Bosco, you know, they're single A, they're a small school, private school. Uh, it's Catholic school, and uh, it they've had a, you know they've had a great tradition since you know the '70s, early '70s, uh, when Coach Mashik took over, and uh, so you know there was there's so he. What he he did a great job of creating a, just a, a really um, kind of unique environment there. Like you travel, I travel all over the country when I was coaching, and you just don't see followings like Don Bosco has. Some. So, so yeah, so it was you know, I was you know I was didn't come from a, an athletic family uh, per se. Um, so you know I was never really steered in any direction, uh, but I did have a neighbor that uh, Mark Hamilton was his name. He wrestled at East Waterloo and, and he was about five years older than me. And he just kind of drug me around all the time when I was a kid playing, uh, you know, football and basketball and baseball. And, um, and then uh, I remember when um, Scott Becker, they call him Doughboy, uh, <laughs> he came in, to, uh, I was in fifth grade, I was 10 years old. And he came into a PE class to kind of recruit kids and to give a little spiel. And I went home and, um, told Mark about that. And he's like, yeah, you're doing that. You know, okay, you're going to go out for wrestling. And, uh, and you know, I, I started then and just, you know, kind of fell in love with it, you know, and I rest mean, is just, history. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was always really, really competitive. So I think it really, um, scratched a niche for me and, um, yeah, just the rest is history. Yeah. So how did you, I know you were a two time, two time state champ. 
in Iowa? Yeah, as a two-time state champ. Yep, I took third my sophomore year. Yep. What happened your freshman year? Were you competitive or still learning? Uh, well, yeah. So the, I think my freshman year in high school was kind of one of those. There's like several turning points in my career, and that was one of them. Um, I uh, I didn't make it to states. I went to the districts and didn't make it out, and uh, was really really upset, you know. And you know, my freshman year, you know, I got real serious about it in middle school, but it wasn't like there was clubs and I, I didn't. My parents weren't taking me all over or anything like that, uh, and, and you know. After my first year in fifth grade, uh, you know, you had like your little season in the winter, about three months long. And I just remember I, I convinced my mom to take me to the bookstore and I bought this big, thick uh, how to get stronger. And got, <laughs> yeah, I got one of those old weight sets with the, you know, with the, the cement wrapped in plastic in my face. Dad bought me that and probably wasn't the safest thing, but, you know, all all spring and summer, I just uh, I wrote up my own little workout plans and 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 did that stuff. And so you know, I was I was really serious and really into it in middle school, even though I wasn't going you know getting a hundred matches or anything like that. And I knew that's what I wanted to do in high school. And uh, my freshman year, this is also probably not very safe, and I probably can't do this anymore. But I remember uh, me and a couple of buddies, we convinced the janitor to to let us in before school, and we'd go lift weights or roll around on the mat or run the halls, you know, just on our own. Um, so I was pretty committed. And I, when I didn't make the state tournament, um, I was pretty devastated. Uh, and it really, I think that kind of, kind of put, then I started doing freestyle and I started going up to um, West Waterloo to the Warhawk club where Marty Dickey, uh, who wrestled with Gable. And oh, yeah. yeah, he had a bunch of sons that wrestled, was running a club and he was, he was very influential, uh, because like I said, there wasn't all kinds of clubs, and you know, Coach Mashik was a three months out of the year coach. You know, he he pushed you hard in the season, but outside of that, you were kind of on your own. So to have the Warhawk Club was uh, very. There was, I mean, the Warhawk Club. You think back on there, there was all kinds of guys coming from all, the whole area um, that did really well at the next level. So it was a great, great kind of atmosphere. Oh man, it's like that area is a hotbed of wrestling. Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids, um, Waverly. You know, that's a great area. When I was in high school, I went to Geneseo, and we used to go to the Keith Young tournament in Cedar Falls. Yeah. And then, uh, so we'd get over there and see some of those schools, and then we'd also host a tournament called the Geneseo Bi-State Tournament, where you'd get, like, Mount Carmel coming down, which is where the Williams brothers went, wrestling yeah. with, like, Iowa City High. So some great, great battles there, and yeah, I just lo I love wrestling in the Midwest. Um, and so that, I mean, if you were that committed in eighth grade, that is surprising that you didn't make it as a freshman, so it had to be pretty tough on you. And so do you remember kind of sitting by yourself like Monday after districts or Tuesday after districts and kind of recommitting yourself or it was like a slow progression where you just got more focused with it? Oh, uh, no, I, re I remember, you know, not wanting to talk to anybody and, and, uh, you know, after my last match at the tournament and, and stewing over it, you know, from, from, you know, from right after that match for a while and, um, just getting back to work, you know, and I, and, and finding a way to, you know, I think that's when I, I don't think I went to the Woolhawk Club before that, but I found that, you know, I found through the grapevine or whoever and um, and started going there and just started. That's, you know, I had always uh, always just been a bit, big believer in just hard work and, and fixing things through that. So, so yeah, I got just got to work and ended up taking third the next year. And, man, you are – I mean, so many people I talk to here are – are obsessive and crazy like that. Like, I don't know how many 10, 10 year olds that are going to the library, writing a book and drawing up their own workout plan. Right. So <laughs> no. wrestling brings that out. And I, I just love that in people. And so you have a, a great career, but you know, you know, as well as I do, single A is sometimes you know, snuffed at a little bit, right? Even in Illinois where I grew up single A, it's like, yeah, you know, it is what it is, but there's some great guys that come out of that. No question about it. Mike Mena was a single A uh, four time state champ in Illinois. I know he's one of your teammates. So, were you recruited by by Gable? Yeah, so so basically, you know, there's you and I, and there's Iowa State and Iowa, and you and I, um, I, I knew I didn't really want to go there because because it was so close to home. I kind of wanted to get away, right? So I went on a recruiting trip to both Iowa and Iowa State, and I, I think I don't know if I would have been recruited if I uh, Coach Mashik and Coach Gable, you know, they they went to high school together, so oh. I think Coach Mashik put a put a bug in Gable's ear about me and. Um, you know, talk me up, but it's funny. Uh, you know, I went to Iowa state and Iowa, um, and you know, Iowa state, 
they, you know, I, I could have got a, a, a more of a scholarship going there. And, um, you know, they treated me really good. Uh, Jim Gibbons was the coach then. I loved, loved him. He, you know, everything was awesome. But when, and, and I just knew after going on both of them, I bet uh, it was a better environment at Iowa, I think, to, to be successful for me. And it's kind of funny, like, uh, you know, I, I used to talk about this to my, you know, my kids when I was coaching that were thinking about, you know, probably had a potential to go on to college. And, you know, a lot of times they get caught up in the money and how much you're going to offer me and this or that. And, you know, to me, it's about opportunity. You know, if you if you've gotten good enough to where you can have the opportunity to go to one of the, you know, one of the best environments possible, um, that's what it should be about in, in my book. And I remember, uh, you know, when, when I got done with my recruiting trip at Iowa, uh, there was another recruit there and I was waiting for Coach Gable to stop. He talked to the other guy first and um they were inside for, you know, an hour talking and then Gable came out and kind of sat on the hood of my car and was like, yeah, I think I can get you books, something like that. Just, I, you know, basically blew me off, I, but I just knew I wanted to go there. Who was the other recruit? Do you remember? Uh, Derek Monsier was, was, uh, he, he, he had to go to Iowa state. We both went to Iowa state and Iowa together and he had to go to Iowa state and I went and went out to Iowa and, um, so, yeah, so, but I went home and my parents luckily were uh, just supportive and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's going to cost a little more, but that's where you want to go. And, and uh, uh, yeah, just, just uh, didn't listen to the naysayers. I'm sure there's probably plenty of people saying, ah, he just, he's not going to make it there. Right. Just when I went in, when I went in, that's when the all back poster came out and it was, you know, the brands is the Steiners, Ryland, Chelsvig. I mean, they were loaded. I mean, it was the best of the best when i'm chuckling because yeah they were loaded then but then fast forward a year you're in there bumping elbows with two of the best wrestlers all time lincoln mcarave joe williams it's like man you, you were they even there at that point or no 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 they were both younger than me so yep i was there for a little bit and they they came rolling in i mean you're an ncaa champion which is one in you know less than 1.111 percent of wrestlers but you think about a three-time champ you were there with Actually, three of them, if you consider Ironside, and then Bill Zadok was there. So it's like, like I always look at the Iowa progression as like 80s total domination, right? 86, five champs, absolutely dominated. 91, dominant team. They still won 92, 93, 94, Okie State won. But then like 95, 96, 97, that is like, again, maybe one of the best groups ever. Um, and so you were right there in the thick of that. Was Gable an idol of yours as a kid? If not, who were some of your influences? back in the day yeah i mean definitely gable was from waterloo i grew up right in waterloo basically so you always knew of coach gable and you always heard stories about how he trained when he was growing up and um so yeah i mean definitely he was a he was a big idol and then you know i was like i said i didn't really come from a big uh sports family so it wasn't like i don't it wasn't like i knew i was going to go to iowa or knew i was going to wrestle in college i was just kind of trying to be the best I could be. And then when I got a little bit older, uh, you know, sophomore, junior in high school, and they always had the, the Iowa matches on Iowa public television. And I, I was really drawn to like, that's when the brands were starting to get real good. And those teams, um, you know, I, I just lived to watch those matches and really looked up to, to all those guys, um, you know, and, and, you know, like I said, Marty Dickey, he was a big influence, uh, obviously coach Mashick, um, uh, Ray Fox, who, who's been an assistant coach, he, I think he came back to Don. He was Don Bosco's first high or first state champion, and then he moved back to the area. I think my sophomore year, and he and I just kind of clicked. And he was he was one of those guys that I think I think everybody needs somebody like this. They they just uh, are real good at kind of telling stories and and pumping things up, and you know th you know and talking about what's going on out there, and you know you kind of just. Uh, just just get you fired up on things yeah you know? absolutely yeah. Mm -hmm. and so the uh obviously the brands you said were an influence for you what was the perception of kids not kids but when you were in high school guys your age what was the perception of the brands when you were a high school wrestler when they were at iowa were they just gods essentially oh i mean yeah they were machines like you i mean as far as like mental toughness and and being able to go in a match that's what you strove for i mean that was like that was the bar you like I want to be able to just crush people in the third period, like, like good guys. I want to like be able to break people mentally in the third period and, and win those type of matches and be that tough. Um, 
So, so yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, obviously that's their intensity was, was something to shoot for. Yeah. You, you watch those matches of like Tom wrestling, Kendall crossing the duel and in the third period, just completely breaking them, even though cross beats brands in the semis in 90, it's like, it's just something about them, you know, everyone, everyone aspired to be. And certainly if that was your era when you were in high school had to be even more impactful. And so when you got to Iowa, did you go through a transition or did you see some success right away when you got there? Oh, no, there's, I mean, there's definitely a transition when you go into a room like that. And, and, um, and I was young, you know, I was, I turned 18 the summer after my senior year. So I was just, I think I put on almost, you know, I probably put 40 to 50 pounds of muscle on by just when I was at college, you know, I, uh, probably 40 pounds. So, I mean, I, I had mature and yeah, you took your, you took your whoopings, but, uh, there's plenty of days, my friend, my true freshman year, you know, I was walking back to the dorms after practice, like, Oh man, what the heck am I doing here? I'm getting my tail whooped every day. <laughs> it sucks. But you know, but that's part of it, you know, you got to stick with it. And then, and, and even though that's like, uh, you know, you look at the Iowa program and in that era and, and, you know, there's a lot of tough dudes in there, but they were super, super supportive. I mean, even the coaches and, you know, even, you know, Steiner brothers, I wrestled those guys all the time and, you know, they would, they were very supportive and, you know, they'd, they'd whoop your tail for, for two hours and, and ride you like a dog. But then afterwards they'd work with you and try to get you better. And, and you could tell when you could tell when you showed signs of getting better, they got excited about it, you know, and that's, you know, uh, I tell, I tell people, I remember the first time, even like Tom Brands, like, you know, Tom Brands was smaller, you know, he's a couple weight classes smaller than me, but he just, he would work me over. And I remember the first time, part of a practice I took him down like two or three times unanswered you know we went off the mat and he jumped up uh as we go back I'm like okay he's gonna he's getting ready to kill me and he jumped up and he goes whoa fired up that I was giving him a good match you know god yeah yeah just excited run back to the middle come on Weber come on you know um so yeah I mean it's you get your you get your tail whooped you get beat on but it was uh you know and you know I look back and there's plenty of times I knew, I know that I wasn't the toughest, uh, I could be, but I don't ever remember coach Gable belittling me or calling me names. It was always, you know, it was always pushing you and, and, and pump, pumping you up at the same time. You know? yeah. so, so that's, 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 that's type of environment. And you had guys like, you had all these postgrads, you had, you know, Randy Lewis, Royce Alger, uh, Rico Chipperelli would come in once in a while, you know, and just all these guys. And they just, you know, if you were if you were a hard worker, they liked you. You know, yeah, they, you were part of the gang. You know, well, especially that new era was clean living. You know, I mean, you think about the '80s. I think of especially the later '80s, wild men, right? Royce Alger, all these crazy stories, living in a tent in the front yard of the dorms, <laughs> just chaos, right? Chaos. And obviously, Gable. When I interviewed Gable, he said the same thing, right? Wheels were coming off a little bit, but man, you think about the new era, as I call it. That's like '90 onward. The brands never drank. The Steiners, I've had them on. They boiled their chicken. I mean, three yeah, times. Yeah. Never drank. You know, so like, would you say by the time you when did you get there? Ninety or ninety one? Uh, I graduated high school ninety one, so ninety one, ninety two season. Okay. So would you say that new era was like fully ingrained by the time you got there? Everyone was living clean, or was there a little bit of partying still going on? No, I mean it was a it was you, people had fun, but there was a lot of great role models there yeah. too. You know, and you know everybody. You knew, you knew, you had to know. I mean, there's plenty of people that came to came to Iowa when I was there, and great wrestlers, and didn't make it yeah. for whatever reasons. You had to you had to prioritize. You know, you had to know where to put the fun and where to put the training and school and and all of that. And yeah, and there was a guy, even those guys that you know that lived super clean lives. They were still fun to hang out with. They were totally. they were guys, you know. And uh, so uh, yeah, so but it was it was a it was an environment where. Um, you know, you, you were going to get rewarded for doing the right things. And who, who were your roommates when you were there over your time? I started, my first year was uh, Matt Dickey, Marty's son. And then um, I, I roomed with Bill Zadick. I roomed with uh, the Hatcher brothers from, from Cedar Rapids. Um, mainly those guys, yeah. What do you remember from your time living with Bill Zadick? Was he uh, just totally focused in? And like, like what, what, what do you remember from your time there? Yeah, was that it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, he came from a great wrestling family and he, um, 
yeah, he was super driven and he was a good influence to be around. Yeah, definitely. Well, I was, I was at Columbus, Ohio earlier this week interviewing Tom Ryan for this documentary and he lived with Terry all three years. And he's like, man, living with Terry, the, the guy was immaculate. Uh, never, a, never a dish out of place. A pen was never facing the <laughs> wrong way, you know? So I was wondering if, if Bill Zadick was like that, that kind of like OCD, just so focused and organized kind of thing. Yeah, I wouldn't say he was OCD organized or anything, but yeah. <laughs> but we both like to train hard, man. I remember many times, you know, you'd be hanging out and uh, after class or after practice and you got dinner and it'd be like, hey, let's go work out, you know, and you had somebody to go at eight, nine o'clock at night and go get another workout with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we were both on the same wavelength, wanting to win national titles. I love it. And so your redshirt freshman year, it's your first time in the lineup you didn't make it to the nationals and kind of like your freshman year in high school, right? It had to be a big turning point for you. Um, I guess, what would you say were some of the biggest changes or kind of the biggest self-talk that you, you had with yourself after your retro freshman year where you didn't make it to the nationals? Yeah, I think it was, you know, I was definitely very upset. I didn't make it. Uh, it's like, you know, the biggest reason was I felt I underperformed um, at the big 10 tournament and didn't, you know, didn't make it out. And, uh, I think the biggest thing was I just had to, to keep work. It was a confidence thing. You know, I didn't perform up to my abilities and, and the mental, the mental thing within big matches was something that I, uh, you know, battled throughout my whole career. You know, you're always trying to figure out how to, you know, for me, it was like, I was always trying to wrestle like I didn't practice, you know, when, when you weren't, weren't thinking about things. And, um, I think between my freshman and sophomore year, it was just a commitment that like, just a confidence and just trained in the off season and um, just another year in the Iowa room. And I went into that sophomore year, um, not second guessing. I, I knew I wanted to be on the podium. You know? Yeah. And, and it got ingrained through just a lot of training and, and being around the right people in the right environment. Yeah. You're big on, and I've, I've read a lot about your philosophy in the sense that confidence comes through preparation and hard work. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you see that with youth kids and high school kids when you're coaching, um, you know, so many times you'd see, you'd see a kid go out there. I can tell in an instant if he's losing a match because he's just not as good as the other guy or if he's not representing himself. And most people um, don't recognize that, you know, you get parents, they'll come up and like, we got to get him tougher to do, make him sprint more after practice, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, he, he just needs to get more confidence, you know? And, and that comes through training and, you know, you get little incremental uh, steps and in, in confidence and belief in yourself. Uh, the more, you, the more time you put in, that's just, that's just how it is. How it is, man. And so when your retro freshman year, what weight were you at that year? 58? 58. Yeah. So that was your, that was your true weight, right? If you could have wrestled any weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably weighed 180 in the off season. Holy shit! So yeah, full, full feed off season. Then you know you do trim down when when preseason started. Yeah, but I mean, the what we're about to talk about that makes it even more impressive because going into your sophomore year, just stacked weight classes at Iowa. I mean, so many good guys. Did you know you were gonna have to go, or maybe just kind of talk us through your battle to get on the team as a sophomore? Because again. I think there were some of the greatest guys ever at that weight. Like who were you battling with going into your sophomore year for that starting spot at 58? I mean, I was kind of the, the, the guy at 58, okay. uh, but you had Joe Williams red shirt. You know, he was a true freshman. He just came in. He was red shirt. And, um, yeah. And we, I, you know, I was struggling a little bit. Uh, I got ridden a couple times and the team was struggling a little bit that, you know, at the end of the year, Oklahoma State won, so they were pushing us. And, uh, yeah, I remember we went to Minnesota. We had a road trip up to Minnesota, and I lost a match, and, and I, uh, I lost the match basically got ridden out for, like, a whole period. And we lost the, the duel. And coming back that night, you know, uh, Coach Gable had a uh, – we were on a bus, and Coach Gable had, you know, kind of a come-to-Jesus meeting with everybody. And, and I even got up, and I knew – I kind of knew – what was coming. Um, but I kind I just, I remember standing up at this, on this bus ride back and just vouching to the team. I would not get ridden again, you know? Um, but then when we got back to, uh, Iowa city, uh, that Monday, it's like, Hey, we're going to have a wrestle off Weber. We're going to pull Williams out of red shirt. Um, so, so yeah, we, we, we wrestled off and he beat me. Um, and I was 
crushed. You know, I, I mean, I, I was dead set. I wanted to be an all American. There was nothing else for me. Um, like me riding the bench and watching the team and being a backup after getting a line at my freshman year and all the work I put in just like was not an option. Uh, and, but, and then they had McElravey was at 150. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't beat him. So, uh, the only option we were kind of, uh, struggling at 42 and I talked with coaches and kind of got a game plan and, and, you know, the rules are different now than they were back then. So the first time I made 142, uh, so that Minnesota match was in January. Uh, so the first time I made 142 was the big 10 tournament. And, um, before we get yeah. there though, real quick. So you have the wrestle off with Williams on Monday. You're already coming off a tough loss at Minnesota. So you're bummed. You have the wrestle off on Monday. Was it a best of three or just a single match? Oh man, I can't even, I think it was a best of three actually. Um, okay. I can't even remember. It's been so long ago, but I, I lost. <laughs> right. And so you had, I mean, very, very few people in the world have ever beat Joe Williams. So it's like, what can you say? You know, the guy is unbelievable. And I'm an Illinois guy, so he was one of my heroes growing up, um, wrestling-wise. But so how long between – so you had the wrestle-off Monday night. You must have been crushed. You went back to your dorm or your apartment. You're doing some self-reflecting. How long did it take you to make the decision to go 42? Uh, it was probably within that week. Uh, you know, I came in and I think some, I think, uh, I think it was, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't dealing with, I wasn't planning for any of that, uh, you know, beforehand. No, no, so, no, no. I know. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, I was kind of soaking everything up and, you know, I knew McAravey was there and I wasn't getting a wrestle off against McAravey. Um, I mean, I didn't, what you can know, you do? It's like, yeah, Jesus, no, two Olympians you're talking about here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I, you know, I think. A couple, like I think Jimmy Zaleski and I think some people maybe planted the seed, you know, and then and then I'm like, yeah, you know, you think I can do this safely? But I'm like, well, let's try it, you know. And I was always really, I, I'm, a, I'm a reader, man. I'm a reader. I'm a studier ever since I, I, I'm very, uh, so I was like really into nutrition. You know, I've been buying strength training books since I was 10 years old. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, I read nutrition books and I, I like, knew knew all that stuff so i you know i kind of just myself i draw my roadmap and all right i gotta lose a pound and a half two pound whatever each week this is what i'm gonna do blah blah blah, blah. and i and the numbers work for me you know um <clears throat> safely without having to lose yeah i knew i knew i wasn't gonna get down to 142 flat but i knew how much water weight i could drop and save you know and still yeah. perform and so it all the numbers work so i so i just did it and uh stuck to the plan and that first time down at in the big tens um it was torture it was brutal. it was horrible. it was brutal yeah so we um so you could weigh in after the first day for the second day at that time um i think you had an hour after the last match and then if you didn't make it in that time you had to wait till the next morning and when i got down with my match i i was 12 pounds over and and so I started working out, you know, started doing my sweat workout. And uh, there was like 20 minutes left before last call. Weigh-ins were over and for that night. And we went and checked, and I was still a pound and a half over. And I remember Terry Brands grabbed, you know, grabbed my stuff, helped me get it on, and kind of putting me through that last 20. I think I might have cried off at least a quarter of a pound. You were crying on and, the bike? What's that? You were crying? I did. I was, I was not happy. Yeah. But yeah, but, uh, but ended up making weight. And the next day, uh, I felt like dog crap and ended oh. up, I think I lost all my matches the next day, but I already qualified. Yeah. Um, took sixth place. And then, uh, then at nationals, I felt better. Well, what uh, were you like before you cut down though? Like when you were at 158, let's say you wrestled on Saturday night at Carver Monday morning at practice. What would you be if you're still wrestling 158? Would you be like 170, 180? 170. Not 80. No, I mean, I would be, cause I, I would lose. I'm, I was a really good sweater. I would lose eight to 10 pounds in a workout Yeah. In a, in a two hour practice, drinking Gatorade, drinking water during practice. I'd lose eight to 10 pounds. So you had the freaking fire in your stomach to say, I'm going from 158 to 142 so I can achieve my goal. I mean, that is some incredible determination. And I mean, it's just crazy to me that that, that happened. And I didn't even know about this story because I, I thought the only time that happened was when the year before 
when Troy went down to 34, Lincoln came in and yeah, that's that that's a pretty legendary story. But then I was talking to Alan Freed and he goes, yeah, the next year Weber came down and like I didn't know what Weber was going to feel like, you know. And so I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even realize that. So two years in a row, some pretty big red shirts were pulled, um, Lincoln and Joe Williams. Um, and so you get to Nationals, you're an All-American. What are you feeling like the week after Nationals that year? Yeah, I mean, I felt pretty good about the year that year. You know, after my sophomore year, after going through all that, you know, kind of coming in and uh, then to get it taken away. And, and, and like I said, it was a lot of discipline that, you know, it, it, even though it was torture, you know, I mean, put in hard work and getting rewarded. Now, if I wouldn't have made it to nationals or something, I'd have a different story, but right. uh, it, maybe it wouldn't have set as well with me. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I felt great. I felt good about my, my year, you know, even though I took sixth at nationals, but I got in there and got on the podium my sophomore year. Right. I mean, that's huge. I, I can't, I just can't even imagine how much, how hard that is to cut that. Cause back then, well, I guess fortunately for you back then, you could weigh in at nationals the night before. So you get to sleep with a little water in your belly at least, you know? So, I mean, at nationals, were you 10, 12 over after each day as well? No, it wasn't as much. It wasn't, I mean, it might like eight pounds or something like that. And, and, and then I didn't really feel it until the third day. Third day, I was pretty. I always say I, I always say like that second day at Big Tens and third day at Nationals, my my body felt like a piece of chewed gum. I just could hardly <laughs> could hardly even get out of bed. Brutal, brutal, <laughs> man. And so your junior year, you're back at 158, you All American, and then going into your senior year, was there any question over who was going to start between you, Lincoln, and Joe? Was it still a battle going into your senior year? Uh, well, I mean. J- Going into my, between a junior and senior year, um, yeah, Williams was coming back out of redshirt. You know, yeah. his redshirt year was over, so he was a fifty-eight pounder, and and uh, and I was the fifty-eight pounder the year before. And I think like uh, it's kind of a funny story. So basically, all off season, in my mind, I was a fifty-eight pounder, and my buddies would be like, "What are you gonna do, Joe? Do what do you mean I'm gonna do more? When I'm gonna be fifty-eight? You know?" And I. I and I think um, I think I used that as a tool just to like that was what I was training for was to beat Joe Williams, you know. And but at the same time, I was I was lifting hard and I was getting big and strong. I was eating my protein and you know and and doing everything and and uh, I got pretty big and uh, put on a lot of good muscle. And I remember so the first the first runs so we always used to have to do these long runs in preseason once uh, you know once school got started. And the first, and Gable had never even done this before. And Gable, I'll give Gable credit because if I was in that situation, the whole off season, like, oh, I got these two guys, you know, I got a two-time All-American, I got Joe Williams, you know, what, what way are they going to go? You know, uh, I would, I would have probably at least brought it up at some point. He never even brought it up. And uh, and we get ready for the first run. We do these like these four-mile loops, and uh, and he goes, he had never done this before. Goes, All right, uh, let's have. 118 to 158 go this way and 167 to heavyweight go that way and like right then i just took off with the big guys and oh wow and i did the run i came back and gable Weber, i noticed you went with uh, 67 and above and i'm like yeah i'll probably just go 67 coach <laughs> <laughs> but uh but i really honestly like before that i would I didn't show anybody my hand. Like I was just like, no, I'm going 58. Man. I'm training to, to, and and I, you know, Joe Williams. I give him a lot of credit for making me a national champ. You know, definitely. You know, there was he was he was a great guy and uh, a hell of a competitor, unbelievable athlete. And how um, good of a wrestler was Joe Williams, man? I mean, he's unbelievable. He's just so fast and so quick, and uh, I mean, tough. And he, I mean, he had everything. You know, a lot of times you get those guys. You know, somebody that's really athletically, but they can't last a whole match or they can't don't work, you know, don't work hard enough to, to tap into it all. But, yeah, he had he had uh, a lot of athleticism and, and worked hard. And, um, yeah, man, he was a real deal. <laughs> How would you compare wrestling him versus Lincoln? What was different about those goes? Uh, Joe was more of like a counterattacker and 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 uh, he wouldn't like if you didn't want if you didn't want. It could be two one if you wanted, right? It could be two one. Yeah, it it didn't. You weren't you you, you didn't have to have like a. I'm gonna puke practice with Joe Williams. Um, now I always tried to like force that offense and get things going, and, and and it was fun wrestling Joe Williams in that fashion because man, it was on. There was, 
you know, there were some, some, uh, some hips flying around. And I mean, it was a lot of scrambles. Um, but yeah, I mean, every time you wrestle Lincoln McAravey, you better be, you better be in shape or you're going to, you're going to crumble. Yeah. You, you, you knew, you knew when you were, when you were going toe to toe with McAravey, um, you were, you were ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I would just, to be a fly on the wall in those workouts, it's like unbelievable. And plus you had, you had Bill Zadek and Ironside at the ladder weight. So it's like that, like, what was the energy like in that room back then? I mean, the practices had to be harder than the dual meets. Oh, I remember, yeah, I remember thinking that a lot when I was, especially when I was younger, wrestling the Steiners and, and all those guys, like, you'd have to think that way. You'd have to, you'd have to recognize that, okay, it's, it's not going to be that tough out there at the tournament. Otherwise your confidence would go to hell. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah. You knew nobody was training harder than you and right. nobody, nobody's probably going to be as long as you're ready to go and uh, you, nobody was going to be as tough as the guys you were wrestling in practice. Well, even Lincoln said, he's like, any day I was wrestling Joe at practice, I knew my confidence was going to be in check because it was like that, uh, that kind of go. And he said he would get butterflies for the practice more so than the duels even, you know? And so like, and the guys in the early eighties said that too, like when you had, you know, Barry Davis, Randy Lewis, like it's kind of like mirroring that, but maybe even to a, to a more extreme, how good those mid nineties teams were. And so your senior year, you're up at, was it 67 back then? Yeah. Yep. 67. How, how good were you feeling at 67, man? You had to feel great compared to 42. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still had to cut weight, but it was, uh, you know, but I was making sure I got my, my meals in and I wasn't undersized. I was a good, I was a, I was a 67 pounder. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was much more natural than cutting way down 42. And so what, uh, you end up winning it on, on, you know, you're the third seed going in from what I, from what I looked at the bracket. So fifth seed, fifth seed. Okay. Fifth seed. So what, if you look at your career and you, you said you struggled with the mental game a little bit and who hasn't, right? Everyone has, um, but like, what do you, like, if you're coaching your guys now, like what lessons do you learn from the jump you made from your retro freshman year to your senior year to allow you to perform mentally as well as you did at the nationals that year? Yeah. I mean, I think early in my career, a lot of it was just building confidence and, and getting better technique and just, and, and then after my junior year, um, you know, two, two Illinois guys really stood out my junior year, uh, I took sixth and Ernest Benyon won it mm-hmm. and really, you know, from sixth to first, I, I didn't think anybody was better than me. I just didn't perform, you know, and then you watch, uh, Marinetti beat McAravey, which yeah. is mind. So, you know, you look at those two afterwards, I was very upset with my perform my year, my junior year. Um, and then was very motivated. I knew, but I knew, um, I knew I had to get my head straight. I knew I had to be able to perform my optimal level every single time if I was getting, if I had a chance because I was moving up. I mean, both the guys uh, that were in the finals at 167 my junior year, that's who I was going to be going against, uh, Malika and, and Branch. So I was going into a – I mean, I was not only moving up a weight, but I was moving up with two eventual two-time national champs and yeah. a bunch of other tough guys. So, But, but I, I really believe that I – I was just as good as them. I just had to, I just had to perform. Um, so really three th- So I was on a, my mission from my juniors to my senior year, my mission was to figure out that mental game, to get a routine so that every single time, cause there was times you'd go out and you'd wrestle and be like, Oh man, I just felt so good. I just crushed that guy. Da, da, da. And then there's other times you walk off the mat, you know, everybody's experienced this and you're like, maybe you lost, maybe won by a point where you should have dominated somebody. And you're just like, what happened? You know? Yeah. And then you try to reevaluate and it's like, what did I do in my warm up that time? What was I thinking? And, and you're always, you know, trying to piece things together. I knew piecing things together was not the best way to do it. I needed to like figure things out. Um, so I was kind of on a mission. It was like really three things. Number one, we went, I went down to the 95 world championships and watched and, and, uh, and I watched these guys, all these like world level guys go out there and nobody was, acting crazy before they went out or anything. Everybody's, I was, they had like this calm confidence as they go out. Um, and I'm like, that kind of like solidified, okay, that's, I need to, you know, I don't need to be jumping around or slapping my muscles or, you know, you gotta be just, you know, I kind of knew, always knew that, but it kind of just said, okay, that's, that's, that's where you got to get to before your matches. And then, um, and then I, uh, 
I actually took a class on um, sports psychology and I read a book that they had recommended in there. I can't even remember the name of the book, but it was the, um, but, but that combo really gave you some tools to like pre like before your match, how to get rid of negative thoughts and like real routines, you, you know, you know, meditation, you know, meditation type stuff. Like the say, say you warm up and you got three hours before you wrestle. I knew what I should be doing. You know, mm-hmm. you're sitting out there watching everybody's matches. I just, I, I needed before big matches. I needed to go back in the warm up area and listen to my music or play cards with somebody or just not even think about wrestling. And then, uh, you know, 20 minutes before your match, that's when you get up and you know, that's when you're kind of playing your movie. Uh, you know, and you, you got to throw bad stuff in there too. You know, you visualize visualize your match and maybe you get taken down right away, but just stand up and you get away and 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 get back to it and so i i just kind of got a routine of uh visualizing and and getting ready and kind of in a in a in a trick for getting everybody has negative thoughts you know like for, right before your matches like oh man my legs feel tired but you're in incredible shape or oh man this guy did this you know and just tools to get rid of that stuff and then and also during the match you got to be able to reset you know you might go you might go out and get up by two takedowns and then you start to shut down and the guy's coming back on you and you got to kind of be able to flip that switch back on or go off the mat and, and, you know, negative thoughts come in. So I kind of got a routine for all that stuff, you know, and, and that's really, I didn't have that beginning of the year. I kind of like did you know, just practice it, practice it, practice it, figure things out. And, and by halfway through the season, by big tens, I, I had a, I had a routine that I knew if I stuck to it, I could get, I could go out there and compete. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I, and that's really what, that was a difference maker for me for my, my senior year. And so it was kind of staying out of the emotional game of the matches beforehand, right? Kind of getting to yourself, or getting by yourself in the, in the warm up area. And then you said something that piqued my interest. You said playing your highlight reel, your movie about 20 minutes before. What'd you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, once you, you know, you do your, you do your early, like at a tournament, you do your early morning warm up and blow your, blow it out, get your body going. And then, you know, you take, then you get away, you should be relaxing. And then that 20 minutes or so roughly before you go out there, you know, you're getting your, your body fired back up and, you know, you're pacing next to the, you're on deck, you're in the hole. Um, and you know, a lot of times that's when negative thoughts take over. And so I tried to occupy my mind by just kind of playing, okay, I'm going to shake his hand. I'm going to come across. I'm going to get my ties. I'm going to force my style. Oh, oh, maybe he gets a takedown. Boom, I stand up. I get away. I get my underhook. I go hit my shut, you know, and I just kind of put myself to not all perfect situations, but I kind of just played those and tried to occupy my mind with that. And then, uh, and then I had this goofy um, uh, kind of trick, like if anything negative came in my head, I just imagined like this box, this train going by with open box cars, and I, just I pushed love it, it, and it just took it away. Love and then it. I went back love to my movie. Um, and so that was my routine, you know. And and you just try to occupy your mind with with positive things, you know. And and yeah, so that's what I meant by that. It's like, man, why does the human mind, whenever you're coming up to something that's important to you, whether it's like when I was driving to the Tom Ryan interview, I'm sitting there thinking of everything that could go wrong. Like I'm like, is my recorder going to work? Is the video camera going to work? Then I'm like, what the hell are you thinking like that for? Right. If you think about that, that's going to happen. Why do you think human minds do that? Are we just afraid or like what, what the hell is that? Why that happens? I think you're socially conditioned for that stuff. I think, I don't think a little, I don't think a kid thinks that way No. until they're, until they're trained to think that way until, um, you know, you go through different experiences and that's, I mean, that's, that's like, why is this kid that shows up for wrestling practice crushing everybody that's been, re- these kids have been wrestling for three years. Um, it's, it's an upbringing, you know, maybe he's just more positive. Maybe he's been, maybe he's just tougher. He's been made to do a bunch of work or more aggressive. You know, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a social conditioning and, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's why it's so important to coach parents when you're a high school coach to educate them as well you don't want them sitting in the stands like watch out for this guy's headlock and this take no let me let us take care you know so it's it's yeah it's just you're you're socially conditioned and and your environment and people are in different environments so some people are a little bit tougher and Mm -hmm. we gotta gotta work out a little bit more right right well it's like i 
it, that just resonates with me because I was never great placed at high school state once, but it's like, I, now what I know about like personal development and visualization and like the mental game of it, like I wish I would have known that shit back then, you know, like the amount of books I've read now, it's, it's unbelievable how scared I was most of the time. Um, and so kind of going back to, back to that senior year, you have all this technique in your mind to get yourself ready. What role did Gable play? If any, in your, uh, not if any, but some guys were closer to Gable than others. Um, would you say you were a guy who's really close to him? Or were you closer to like Zaleski or Brands? Like who really got you ready before a big uh, match? Zaleski, when I first went there, Zaleski was my guy. He, he, uh, he did all the morning workouts with me and really took me under his wing. Um, and yeah, he really, he was like, that's how it was. You know, you went, when you were at Iowa, you, uh, basically, Two days in the two days a week in the morning, you went in and you did like individual technique with the coach, and two days you went in and like strength train, like you know that's kind of like a template. They did a lot more than that, but uh, but he was my guy in those morning workouts, and uh, at, especially the technique. And then uh, Terry Brands used to put me through a lot of the strength training, um, but uh, I would say Gable was kind of like the you know he was like the CEO, you know yeah. he and. And he was he would give speeches at the beginning of practice and get you motivated and um, but yeah you had a lot of really like assistant coaches that were 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 just great you know they were they were they were they were really developing a lot of the guys you know don't you think he was kind of like a a Bill Belichick in the sense that he was like just all business he delegated a lot but obviously he was running the show but you feel like you don't feel like Belichick's buddy buddies with the guys you know and I don't. I don't know if Gable was like that. It doesn't seem like he was, though, necessarily. He was. Uh, or you know, was he? Was, he? He was. He was. He was very. Appro- I mean, he was like super approachable, and you could talk to him, and he would always like to cut up or talk to you in the sauna afterwards. Okay. And, um, but yeah, yes, but he was. He delegated a lot, especially when I was there. Maybe when he was younger, you know, different when story. He, yeah. Yeah, he was probably in the mix a little bit more, but um, but yeah, he and, and I think he he knew the importance of like the environment to the, the Hawkeye wrestling club and having these post-grads and other people that came in and yeah. um, there, was, there was just a, it was just an awesome, like you, the older you get, you look back and you're like, man, I was really lucky to be a part of something like that. hundred uh, percent. I got a, let's let me text Mike Mena cause he was supposed to come on at 10. I, I don't want to sh- cut this short. So I'm going to push that at half hour. Give me one second here. Beautiful. Cool. So, um, a couple of things I want to ask you about before we get to your senior year, because that's kind of like the buildup. So um, I've had Alan Freed on the podcast. He's one of the fan favorites. Were you there for the Bill Zadick Alan Freed sauna fight? Uh, I was, I mean, I was in town. I wasn't on, the, I wasn't at the facility when that happened. <laughs> that seems like one of the craziest things I've ever heard of. The fact that Freed was even training there baffles me, but it just shows how cool Lincoln was to kind of bring him in. But I just didn't know if you were there or not, because I can't picture it in my mind. I don't think anybody was there. It was just I don't the, think it was there. I think the story was nobody was there because that's why it went like it went on forever. <laughs> uh, there was nobody to break it up, and you know none of those either. Those two guys, you know, I think they got like tired for a little bit and would stop, and then I don't know. I can't remember the story exactly, but and they're in plastics. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> um, and so, do you have a? Well, I guess better way to put it is. I ask everybody, what made Gable great? It's such a cheesy question, but more so the theme of part two of the documentary is what made Gable great was the trust he had with the athletes. And obviously the more trust you have, the more you're willing to do it for him. And the second part is that he was really good at knowing each person as an individual and like letting that individual do what they needed to do. Like Lou Bannock barely went to practice, barely went to a regular practice a senior year. He'd work out at 10 o'clock at night with Mark Johnson, right? Cause Gable knew that's what Lou needed. Do you have any stories like that or any examples of, of the trust or the individual attention that, that you saw when you were there um, with coach Gable? Oh yeah. I mean, there was all kinds of, I was kind of like, so you talk about like how close were you with Gable? Yeah. Um, I was always kind of self-sufficient for the most part. And so, you know, I always came to practice and, and worked hard. I needed help, you know, I needed, you know, but I wasn't like disappearing or mm-hmm. missing weight or cracking in some fashion or something like that. And those are the, really the guys that he got most close with. Um, the guys that really he knew needed. Maybe they were homesick. Maybe they moved for a long ways away, and um, he yeah. would would make them feel at home. And uh, so yeah, he was really really good with that. And 
Um, I mean, obviously, me going to 42 was a huge trust factor in, in him, you know, yeah. that he would, he, uh, he thought I could do it and thought it was safe. And, and, uh, and he was keeping an eye on me, you know, and he, I remember him, I remember him always checking on me, you know, especially like towards the end of the week or before weigh-ins or something like that. And giving you a little hint, like I remember him telling me once, like, I think he was afraid of me cracking or something. And he's like, Hey, uh, Weber, you know, you're doing a good job, but you know, you can, you can cheat a little bit. If you want to, if you want to half a Mountain Dew or something one night, have it, you know? And, and, you know, so he was always looking out for you guys and making sure he was really in tune with your mental state. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, that was, that was a big, you know, like I said, creating a great environment. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. It, I mean, do you think ahead. in 94 when Oklahoma state won, do you think there was some inner conflict with the team or was it just that, like Ray Brinzer didn't place. And there's a couple things that happened. And the reason I asked is because Lincoln had said in an interview, not with me somewhere else that in 94, it was kind of like 10 individuals versus a team. Whereas 95, 96, 97 came together. Do you think there's any, not that there's any truth to that, but like what, what's your take on that was as to why Okie state won in 94 and you guys didn't. Cause the teams are almost the same um, in the years that you guys won. I mean, I think there was, there were some young guys, you know, Joe yeah. Williams took what seventh, I think that year, just, I mean, he's just young and, um, Mena was a freshman, I think, um, just kind of reloading, you know, what are you going to do? Took, I think he took seventh or eighth. Um, I cut to 42, it took sixth, you know? Uh, so I just, I don't think maybe some like me, this part of the team, I didn't feel that way. Shit, okay. I could have- I could down 42 to, to, to for to make the it. team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, I mean, people say that for the team and I was like, I for the team. I want to do it for myself, but I mean, um, yeah, I think each individual has probably has their own perspective on things like that. I never really, I've always been one not to get into that type of stuff and fair enough. Uh, I just train and just train got and after it, man. Happen. Yeah. And so if we flash back to your senior year, you're, you're at a, a healthier weight, you have your mental routine down going into the match with Malika 20 minutes out. Did you still feel some of that doubt creeping in just as oh, always? Yeah. Like where yeah. were you at before that match? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he had beat me twice that year and uh, I went out and, you know, I've never seen this match. I've tried to find the video. I've never, never watched the match. Man. And, uh, and yeah. And, uh, and I went out and I, I got up two takedowns on him, and that's, I was one of those situations where, uh, I shut down. I stopped wrestling. He came back, and I talk about this. It was the third period, and I think it was tied, or I was down by a point. I can't even remember. But I remember we went off the mat. There's about 20 seconds, 25 seconds left, and I and it felt like an hour. Like it felt like minutes walking back to the middle, and I was just like in my head. I I used my kind of technique. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to be remembered by this. I'm gonna. I'm going to close the deal on this and uh, kind of got, and I hit it like a sweep single out the whistle and, and end up winning it. Um, but yeah, definitely. It was like during the match I had to deal with it. And I, and, it, and it, you know, a year before, I don't know if I would have had the, uh, the tactics to pull myself back in the match. Man, that is like even the highest level performer, someone like yourself, an NCAA champion, even during the match, the mind plays tricks on us. That's why I think it's just so fascinating to have someone like you as a, I mean, to have you as a high school coach, I'm sure your guys benefited from that tremendously because you're able to help them kind of avoid some of those mistakes. I mean, and then going into the finals against Branch, I don't know if he's a two-timer or a three-timer, but really tall guy, right? Really long wrestler. Um, how did that match go for you? I mean, I've seen the results, but like, how did it yeah, go? Yeah, yeah, he had, yeah, he had majored me at the at the national duels that year. Um, uh, kind of rode me a lot, and so he, so Gable, you know, he knew you knew who your competition was and towards the end of the year, he would start to get really individualized with your training. And, uh, yeah, I mean, basically I got ridden with the legs and that's why I got beat so bad against uh, branch the first time I wrestled him. And we used to do at the end of the year, we would do these it's called 20 second goes. And basically Gable would get like two backups about your size or a little bit bigger. And you had certain, goals like if you didn't you go 20 second goes for a whole match so if in a 20 second go if i didn't get the takedown you got a bad mark and it added to your conditioning at the end which we did <laughs> real runners were like which is like the hardest conditioning machine ever um 
so anyway, so my, and he would individualize. So, so the basic version is you go neutral for 20 seconds periods that would equal three minutes, you know, and then you do your top bottom. Well, I would do a little bit of that. And then he brought all the leggers in, in the room and had them just shark bait me. And I remember the first, when we first started doing those, um, man, I would want to punch guys. It felt like, you know, it felt like you were getting suffocated with the wool blanket and I couldn't get out. And by the, by the big tens, nobody could ride. Nobody in the room could ride me for more than a couple seconds. I had, I had it down. Nobody, I mean, I had so much confidence that I could get out from anybody. Um, and he would start you in different positions and let in. And, uh, so I, so I was ready. I was ready for that match. I knew, I knew I was ready. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I went out and and you've probably seen the match. And went out and got the takedown, and then uh, he tried hitting a switch on me, and I shelved his leg, and he kept kind of scoot on me, and and yeah, he unfortunately hurt his knee. Yeah, but like man, like that individual attention though that you're talking about, with Gable, that's just like so fascinating to me that that he was that keyed in on everyone. I mean, it's probably not a surprise most college coaches are keyed in, but it's like there's a difference between that and then having the right technique to get it done, but then the motivation to get you there too, right? And like he he just got you ready. And I mean, the rest is history. And so when you look back on, on your career now, like what you did, how long were you a high school coach for Daryl? 15 years, 15 years. Are you not coaching anymore? Right? No. Right. Yeah. Right. So like, man, you guys had some dominant teams of Virginia. Like how, I guess, compare and contrast getting yourself ready as a coach versus an athlete. Would you still dive in and get obsessive about like the coaching technique and the planning for your guys through a high school season, just like you did as an athlete? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I was, uh, yeah, I was very meticulous. I had, um, you know, outlines of the technical systems that I wanted to do, and I would be testing things. And okay, this this doesn't work for the masses. Um, taking that out, you know. I mean, very quickly I realized uh, I didn't what I was good at did not factor into what we taught. You know, um, it was the basics, the fundamentals, and then knowing how to scale from from teaching those. And yeah, I was very meticulous about it. I mean, I mean, I've got uh, I put this on my website. I've got stacks and stacks of notebooks, and I always had a, I always either had a notepad or a piece of paper uh, at every tournament, every competition, and taking notes. And then I had a whole little system of deciphering those notes and turn them into practice plans for the next week. What was the uh, system like? Would you sit down on a Sunday morning and read all your notes, or? Yeah, so I mean, so I'd have like you know a sheet of paper. And it was just filled with all kinds of chicken scratch, all different notes. And then I had, so what I would do is I had a, um, an outline with basically so like top, bottom, neutral, and miscellaneous. So I would take all those sheets from the weekend and I would categorize them. And then I would kind of say, okay, this is what we need to focus on to, to make gains. Or maybe we had a certain competitor the next week I knew we had to focus on. And then I would make my practice plans off of, you know, our, our weaknesses basically, or, or what we need to focus on. And I think that's, that's huge when you're coaching is like, it's, it's, it's tempting to be like, get real organized as a coach, say, okay, we're going to do this, and this, and this, and this, try to map it out. But once you start hitting competition, it's, it should be all off the table. It's all about what, what they're struggling with. Yeah. I mean, and, and we could do a whole pot and I want to do a second podcast on you as a coach and then attack style wrestling, but just real quick before we let you go, you know, what is attack style wrestling? How did that all come about and where can they find resources on that? Yeah. I mean, well, attack style wrestling.com. Yeah. It's a, so basically, you know, I've, I, I felt very fortunate growing up in, you know, Gilbertville and going to Don Bosco wrestling under coach Gable. And then when I went first six years, I coached high school. I was uh, coaching with Kevin dresser. Um, and then, then I went on and coached nine more years after he went to, went on to college and, um, you know, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was, since I was, you know, young. Um, and you only, you only get one, one go around, you know, and, and I, I coached for 15 years. I didn't, I didn't really have a desire to go to, to college coaching. Um, I felt, like I said, I felt fortunate that I had all this experience and been around all these great people. And I've, I mean, I've always been very analytic and, and organized and, and I feel like I educate myself well. So, um, you know, kind of my next step, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I also didn't want to like walk away and just all this stuff I'd learned and developed just be gone. 
and I wanted, I want to be a part of the sport as long as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to me for 15 years, you know, I, I, I influenced my little, my team, my program, and I wanted to take what I learned all over these years and try to share with everybody, anybody that wants to, to, uh, and, and put it in a way that people can use, you know, not just a bunch of random crap. Um, I want to put it in a way where, you know, it's, it's scalable and you can, if you're a high school coach, here's what you can do. Use this as a template and take a little bit of that and give it to your middle school and take a little bit of that, give it to your elementary and create a feeder system. Um, and I think that, uh, that's how I can help continue to grow the sport. You know, if I, if I provide a resource that gets kids winning quicker and teaches the volunteer coach or the guy that co- wrestled two years in high school, but wants to coach uh, how to do it and, that's just going to get more kids involved, get, you know, keep them excited. And, you know, that's kind of my way to uh, continue to, to contribute. Well, I can tell just from talking to you, you're very you're structured and organized, right? A lot of some guys who are good at wrestling are not like that, right? And maybe the guys who had success come a little bit easier, they're not like that, right? Whereas if you got to bust your ass and work crazy hard just to get everything you have, you, you take note of it more and you can codify it and it's more organized for you. So that seems like your MO. No yeah, question. You, you can relate with people right. better, too, you know, yeah, because you've been through a lot of, you know, you've struggled, uh, you know, struggled a lot. <laughs> and we got to give some love to your brother, man, a marketing wizard, Lee. He he still helps you with uh, the website, and you know, what's that relationship been like? Yeah, no, it's great, man. It's it's very, it's uh, it's a special relationship for me because you know he lives in Iowa, I live in Virginia, and you know. Uh, Years before I stopped coaching, he and I kind of just started moonlighting, you know, our business and we've done other stuff outside of the textile wrestling. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's been, you know, he's been a huge mentor for me as far as, uh, you know, business and, and, and Ecom marketing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause right out of college he went and he started his own business and then he sold it and then we, um, and then he kind of was in limbo and I'm like, and I wasn't just a wrestling coach. I wanted to make some money. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. So let's start, let's do something together. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, it gives us a chance to talk every day. And sometimes you're, sometimes you're, uh, you know, it's not you're pushing each other, but, um, no, it's great, man. I mean, cause you know, it's easy to drift away, you Absolutely. know, as you get older. So, so well, I have a brother who's 13 months younger than me. He lives a mile from me in Chicago here and we're, we're best friends. And I know, I don't know if Lee wrestled or not. Um, yeah probably did but like wrestling brothers is like it's a special bond man you know it's crazy um well the last question for you before we let you go and the theme of the podcast is wrestling changed my life so last question for you is how did wrestling change your life or what life lessons has the sport given you um and then i do want to have you back on and talk about coaching but just to wrap this one up how would you how would you answer that man you you would set that question over it's just like so many there's there's you can't come. I, I can't come up with a one-liner, you know, or kind no, of. of course one-liner. not. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's the people that I had the opportunity to be around. You know, you look like, especially as you go into to business or the real world. Um, it's all about your success. Is all about your mentors and the people that are influencing you. And and I mean, Matt. I mean, if I grew up somewhere, I don't even know if I would have even had one inkling of a that I could be a national champion if I was, you know, didn't grow up the way I did in, in the environment. So it's the people. Um, it's uh, it, one thing wrestling too. It was always, it was one of those sports that was always there. Like no matter what was going on in your life, I could always go to that wrestling room and put my time in and see results. Um, it was kind of always there. It's almost like, it's almost like a peaceful part of my, you know, as, as unpeaceful as it seems, but it was always, it was, you know, it's like, it's like kind of like a religion or something. It was like, it was always there for you. You know, you want to come and put some time in and, and, uh, and, and it's probably a little bit, that's a crazy wrestling mentality there. But, um, but that definitely was, I mean, that was a big part of my life. Um, and then, you know, you hear people talk about it, but this is another thing that the further I get from wrestling and getting out of coaching and not being around wrestlers every single day, like I used to, you realize the mental, how special the mentality is, um, how it teaches you to deal with adversity. And, um, 
I mean, there's so many people that just shut down under, when they get anxiety or they get depressed or this or that. And there's obviously, you know, there's uh, chemical reactions going on for some people. But I think a lot of it is if you learn any individual sport, if you learn to get nervous and deal with it and compete and do it again, um, it's, it really pays off, you know, way past sports. Wasn't it tough to be around non-extremists? You know, I, I say – when I say the word extremist, crazy or obsessed, I'm talking about the same thing. But when you're not around people like that, it's like kind of hard. It's hard for at first. It was hard for me not to judge them and be like, "God, you <laughs> suck." You know, I mean, I'm in sales, and a lot of salespeople, fortunately, are kind of like wrestler mentality like that. But sometimes you run across people in any walk of life who are giving it half ass, or you know, I you might perceive them to be weak mentally. But it, it's hard to. Do you find it hard for you not to to judge those people or be hard on them? Like when you first think, meet someone like that? Yeah. I mean, I think years of being a coach help you get you used to that. You know, you got to <laughs> like, I mean, if every, if you're a head coach and every time you see somebody lazy or a lazy tendency, you're calling them out and getting mad at them. Well, you're probably not going to have many people on your team for very long. So <laughs> you learn to kind of like, especially being a high school or youth coach, you, you, you learn to, you know, maybe not be as vocal or as judgmental. Because, yeah, you want to bring them along, you know? And well, high school kids, one thing, but even like in business, right? Sometimes you meet adults who are, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. that's way worse, you know, to me. Um, oh, no, definitely, yeah. And, and, and fortunately, I've always kind of worked for myself, so I haven't had to go to a, like a big corporation or go into an office. But, yeah, it would, uh, it, would be, it would be annoying, especially if, they're, if you're carrying their work, the, the work for them, you know? You're going to have to do, you know, right. and you don't recognize or rewarded for it. So are there any other ventures you're in now that people should look you up on or is the tax style wrestling your primary, primary focus right now? Uh, I mean, people listen to this podcast. That's the primary one. The other okay. ones probably wouldn't be. We've got Lee and I have got our, our, our fingers in other projects too. Um, but basically they're built off of what we learn by running the tax style wrestling. Beautiful. <laughs> well, Mr. Weber, thank you so much for your time, sir. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Look forward to having you back on. Yeah, I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Take care. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.